I really believe that the reason why a lot of people fail is because they haven't had clear expectations set with them and then clear follow-up feedback. So, you know, people don't want to do a bad job. I, I really do believe that people want to be successful. They want to succeed for the most part. And so feedback should be a mechanism to help that person be successful. And I think that a lot of the time, because people put off this feedback, they end up doing the wrong thing for too long because they've not been given the direction that they needed. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights for each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everyone. Lead the team nation. Chris Abbas, who has more than a decade of expertise in leadership and recruitment for game-changing technology companies. Now, Chris is currently CEO and co-founder of Talentful, a company that provides subscription-based recruiting solutions to some of the world's most ambitious tech companies. And he's previously worked with companies like Audible and Shazam. And Chris is from the UK, as you'll hear, moved to San Francisco in 2020, and now resides in NYC, New York City, my old stomping grounds. Chris, welcome to the show. Welcome. Glad to be here. Well, Chris, uh, I got to ask you about this. I was doing a little research on you and this LinkedIn post that recently <laughs> went viral. Okay. And y'all may be thinking, what went viral on LinkedIn? Now, it's easier to go a little bit viral on Twitter or other social media platforms, but LinkedIn, LinkedIn can be tricky. So his his message is, was, okay, is, is out there now. Um, if Elon Musk can buy Twitter in 10 days, then you can hire a candidate in less than a month. And then he just drops the mic and that that that's the end of the message. Now, as of as of today, it's been liked over 80,000 times, 1200 comments, 1400 shares. So that this immediately caught me off guard cuz I'm on LinkedIn an awful lot and I don't see many 80,000 likes. For, for anything, especially that short. <laughs> it's it's yeah. such a powerful quote. So tell us about that. And what advice do you have for leaders who are interested in expanding their leadership, um, their, their thought leadership over on LinkedIn? Yeah, it's a really interesting example because I've always seen people be active on LinkedIn. I've been on there for a long time since the beginning of my career. And you see these people go viral and start to build a following. And what they say is it's all about consistency. You've got to start somewhere. It's just about you know, week after week, putting a post out. And then sooner or later, it's going to happen for you. You're going to go viral. And so I set myself a resolution this year, which was um, every week, I'm going to post twice a week. Whatever comes to my mind, I'm going to try and be structured, you know, write down ideas as they come up in my drafts and then just post them. And you know, sometimes I agonize over these posts for you know days on end. I'm tweaking uh -huh. the words. I'm, uh -huh. And I get 100 reactions to the post, right? So this day on the uh, Elon Musk post, 
it just pops in my head. And it's the least amount of thought and effort I've ever put into a post. It was the shortest post, um, but it just hit, it hit off. And I think there's some wisdom in that somewhere that mm. you shouldn't overthink things. You should you know, just go with the flow. Um, you should put your ideas out there. Consistency pays off. And um, if you keep doing it, keep putting in the work, um, it's gonna, uh, you know, it's gonna hit the right spot. Um, and that's what it did. And I was really surprised by the reaction. And I think the, the really interesting thing is it, it caused a lot of debate um, and it really highlighted, you know, it was, it was a tongue in cheek post. I wasn't you know, suggesting that Elon Musk actually bought you know, Twitter in 10 days. Um, I was trying to highlight um, the um, ludicrous nature of some interview processes and some, some of the deliberation that happens in hiring candidates. Um, and it was very interesting to see the comments of people who are just having terrible experiences or had terrible experiences with recruiting or in interviews. Um, so that was really great to see. And it just caused conversation. And I think that that's really the key. It's about how do you um, stir something up and how do you cause um, a reaction and some conversation? And whether it's positive, negative, that's not really the point. It's about making someone or, or people feel a certain way and um, compelled to react. And I think that post did, did exactly that. Yeah, I, when I read it, I immediately laughed. Like <laughs> I thought that was just hilarious. <laughs> and sometimes we do. We, you know, we. What I thought is, yeah, we are our own worst enemy sometimes, uh, and we overcomplicate things. And yeah. just thinking about ways to to simplify, to streamline. But yeah, I had a different take on it than the other twelve hundred people too <laughs> that were all in there. I started scrolling through and I'm like, man, this is impressive. I think it's hilarious too, that you're like, man, I just thought about this kind of on the moment. It was maybe my least thought out strategic post. Yeah. It's just something that you got out there. So having that consistency of, of uh, getting it out there seems to sometimes be the best formula. What, um, you know, thinking about this, you're obviously in, in this world uh, of hiring with a, mm -hmm. with a talentful. From, and also tying this back to one of the key phrases on your LinkedIn profile, which says inventing the future of recruiting. Well, what does the future of recruiting look like? I'm assuming it's hiring people in less than 10 days, typically, <laughs> or, or, or recruiting them in, in fewer and shorter time. Absolutely. And I think almost everyone you speak to has had a negative experience when it comes to recruiting. Um, you know, there's a lot of frustration in the process. There's a lot of misaligned incentives. And I think it's an industry that's relatively low on innovation across the last decade, decade or so. Um, so I think really what the future of recruiting looks like is a solution that's fit for modern day businesses. Um, and the world has changed so much in the last couple of years, you know, with the shift towards remote working, um, employees wanting more flexibility and autonomy over how they work, maybe thinking about different things that attract them to opportunities. There's also a massive cultural shift that's happening with millennials and Gen Z where they're moving jobs more frequently. You know, gone are the days where people spend a decade in one job. Um, it's moving every one, two, three years. And so that's creating a whole new host of problems for companies um, to build functions that can attract talent and attract the volume of talent on a, on the consistent basis that they need to, to achieve their goals. And I think the current solutions that are out there on the market mm -hmm. um, aren't fit for purpose. I mean, just take remote working, for example, 
you know, if I was a recruiter or a you know, recruiting executive and I was in San Francisco, I knew my market really well. I, I was going to the meetups. I knew what the um, employee trends were. I knew the salaries of that market. Um, I knew all the companies that had the best engineers, for example. Now that doesn't matter. You know, I, I, it's impossible for me to know where the best engineers are in the whole of America, what the salaries are, what the trends are, what people want or don't want. And so it's created a whole new host of challenges. And I think that the winners in this market are going to take advantage of that and create something that's really applicable to the, to the new way that we're all working and what attracts us to opportunity. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. You got to really rethink the recruiting model, it sounds like. And teams yeah. and, and organizations have got to work with companies that are in that with them because I'm assuming that your customers probably depend on you to keep them up to speed on the changing market. Yeah, they can read the Wall Street Journal, but where does the rubber meet the road is actually uh, whatever applies to them. I think a lot of companies, you know, they read the Wall Street Journal and that's a great resource, but it's different when I think, and I'm curious on your perspective, like you'll read the Wall Street Journal, but then when you boil it down to what's actually going on in your own business, sometimes the WSJ is not like, the most current information as of what's happening this week. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a lot. There's always a lag. And even if you use a lot of the kind of salary benchmarking tools uh, that are predominant in the market, the data is normally out of date by the time you implement it in your organization. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think there's going to be a shift towards this kind of lagging data to real time information. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's a huge opportunity for, for a company that can nail that because companies that are moving in the, the tech industry specifically, or even high growth businesses, they haven't got a year to wait. They haven't got six months to wait. You know, the, their, their business is shifting so fast um, that they need instant information that's relevant for them at that moment in time, not you know 12 months behind. So, hmm. so yeah, I think that that's definitely another area where there's the disruption to be had. Yeah, so what's the best way for a leader to get great real-time information? Is it working with a, like a tech company like yourself? Or is it their suppliers? I mean, what are all the different mechanisms do you think that leaders can, can, can go about getting that so they can make adjustments on the fly? Yeah. So I think having a strong recruitment function, whether that's outsourced, whether that's in-house um, is really key because those people in your team are your eyes and ears. You know, they're speaking to candidates every day. They're, they're out in the market having real-time conversations mm -hmm. with the talent that you want to hire. Um, we're asking that talent, you know, what they're looking for, what their expectations are, um, whatever opportunities that they, they, they are, they're in at the moment and what those are paying. So it gives you a very good real-time view and an instant feedback mechanism of what's going on in the market. So firstly, it's having those people in your organizations that are having those conversations. And then there are tools out there um, that are helping companies um, with salary benchmarking and finding out that real-time information. But the volume of data and information that you need, um, I think a lot of these startups don't have that yet. So it's relatively hit and miss depending on what roles that you're hiring for. So I think really the, the answer that's going to give the most instant impact is having people in your organization that can have those conversations in real time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Real-time conversations connected connectivity with technology and your suppliers to make sure that that you're staying on the cutting edge and yeah things are you know, we're, we're recording this in the time period sort of on the back side of the pandemic and the hiring is mm -hmm. kind of crazy but it's 
you know, just ever shifting. So it's important to stay in touch with that team leaders out there. Now, Chris, don't want to get too far down that road before we ask about your background, because here you are, UK guy, San Francisco, now in New York. And typically New York City apartments are kind of tight. I used <laughs> to live there. I had a really tight apartment. You seem to have squeezed in at least two good electric guitars <laughs> and an entire drum kit behind you. So what gives? What's the what's the <laughs> overarching, overarching sort of theme of your career here? Yeah, so... Um... You know, I like to tell people that I'm a failed rock star, which is you know, really um, I keep these instruments behind me um, to remind myself of what could have been. You know, um, no, I, I, I've been in a painful memory. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've been in bands all my life. I've uh, been a musician. I actually studied music at university, um, but then came to a crossroads and decided that you know, that wasn't the direction that I wanted my career to go in. I wanted to keep music as a passion rather than a career. Um, and at that point I was kind of lost, um, all my life I'd been training to be a musician. I've been practicing to be a professional musician and that's what I was destined to be in my mind. I didn't have thought about anything else. Um, and so I was working in the kind of UK version of Whole Foods, um, you know, um, not really having any career prospects thinking, should I go and do a different university course? Should I? you know, try and work my way up at this, uh, this supermarket, um, you know, lots of things going through my mm -hmm. mind. Um, and my, one of my old teachers, interestingly, was a, a recruit. She left the school to go and be a recruiter. Um, and I had her on Facebook and I messaged her and I said, can you give me some advice? You know, what would you recommend? Um, and she got me an interview at her um, recruitment company. Um, and off the back of that, I did some more research and I realized that this could be a career that I could be good at. Um, you know, it's sales orientated, it's customer facing, you speak to people constantly, it's something I think I would enjoy. You're ultimately helping people get jobs, which I, I felt that was a, a good mission to, to be on. And um, at that point, I just called up lots of recruitment agencies and tried to book interviews in. And they're just desperate for graduate talent um, mm. that can come in at entry level, um, and that's how I got into it. So somehow wanted to be a rock star, ended up in recruitment as, as you do, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So what are the, what are some of the leadership lessons you learn back in the music days? They think listeners need to be like, maybe they haven't been a musician, but some lessons that you learned that maybe they could benefit from. Absolutely. There's been a, a lot of things that I think have helped me you know, from learning an instrument at a high level to bringing that into the, the business world. And I think kind of touching on what I said on the Elon post, um, consistency mm -hmm. wins. And nice. you, know, you, you can't ever become great at an instrument unless you put in the work. And that's something that I love about, you know, music in general and anything that anyone does really to a high level. There is a respect that's earned by knowing that someone has just put in work and, and been consistent and had to fight through times where it's been tough. And if you take that kind of drive through to the business world, I believe you will be successful. I think that's the number one determination of if someone's going to be successful enough or not, you know, that consistency and that drive. Um, so I really look for that when I'm hiring um, people, you know, have people shown that at some point in their life, um, they have 
shown that consistency to reach a goal that they've set for themselves and mm -hmm. and a goal that isn't easy to achieve um it's a goal that has taken perseverance and consistency and hard work um because it teaches you some very valuable um yeah some very valuable things and just knowing that you can reach that goal if you put in the work i think translates really nicely to the business world especially in startups that's so up and down and things always are going wrong and um, you really have to have, you really have to have your eye on the end goal and 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 know that the the work that you're putting in and you know, the tough times are going to be worth it if you keep going. Um, yeah, so so I think that's one of the biggest things that I I take with me. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in ten seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com/turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Yeah, I love it. And having, having grown up doing music too, and we were, we're talking... Uh, before we started recording about, I mean, I did bassoon and saxophone and whatnot, and I'll play dabble with guitar, but the practice thing is huge. And it's also this idea of when you practice giving yourself permission to make mistakes, and that's the great time to make mistakes. So, but when it's time yeah. to perform, you're able to show up with making fewer mistakes, maybe flawlessly, uh, because yeah. you put that time in beforehand. And that's uh, a great man, way of putting it. You know, that's, that, that's so good. So, I'm assuming your your primary instrument is the drums, right? Yeah. So if someone if someone's listening and they're like, "Well, I'm wondering who does Chris believe or, or some of the top drummers out there? Who should they check out?" Oh wow. Um, so um, sadly, um, you know Taylor Hawkins just recently uh, passed. Yep. Um, but he is an incredible drummer. You know, um, a massive inspiration for me, um, and you know, just an excellent energy that he had on stage and the presence mm. that he had. Um, so yeah, he, he's excellent. Um, Dave Grohl, actually, speaking of the Foo Fighters, is also an excellent drummer. Um, he's just supremely talented in general, you know, as a musician. Um, and it seems like everything he does is just turns to gold. So you yeah. know, he's, he's, he's awesome. Um, and I actually really admire a lot of jazz and hip hop R&B drummers. Um, I remember when I was younger, I watched this video of a guy called Tony Royster Jr. who there's this famous video online that went viral. He, he was 14 years old and he did this drum solo and it was the best drum solo I've ever seen in my life. And, and I Tony Rich. It. Tony Royster Jr. Oh, Royst, Royster. Yeah. Okay. I'll put and, that in the show notes. Okay. And now he um, performs with Katy Perry and a number of massive artists. Um, so he's, he's an awesome drummer and he inspired me a lot when I was younger. Um, so yeah, there's tons. I mean, there's so many great musicians and, and drummers. And, and one of the things that's great about being in New York actually is the, the jazz club scene is mm -hmm. awesome. And you've got so many unknown musicians and artists that are on the circuit that are just phenomenal. And you can just sit there and your mouth's on the floor and watching these people and the talent that they have. So that's something that I'm really enjoying at the moment. Yeah, I love that. We'll post the post the link to that. But I mean, the thing about drummers is, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of bands out there that need drummers. 
They've got the singer, they've got guitarist keys, but they need drummers. So are you playing now? Uh, like anybody yeah. catch you out playing around New York? If anyone's in New York and wants a drummer, hit me up. I'm definitely down to uh, do some practice. We actually used to, back in England, um, it's a bit harder now. A lot of us are remote. Um, but in the UK, we used to have a talentful band. And we'd um, send a set list around once a month. Everyone would learn the songs and we'd show up at a practice room and just jam for three hours. Oh, and then cool. go for drink. And it was awesome. So, yeah, I, I would, I'd love to do that if anyone's, anyone's up for it. All right, NYC. <laughs> yeah. Give Chris a buzz. So, I might, uh, uh, yeah, might be yeah. leaving Tarnful soon to, uh, to actually, you know, trying to achieve my rock star fame. Now you you just set that off then. Yeah, oh, career change. <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess you can you you can do both for a while until you make it yeah. really really big on the drum yeah. scene. So thinking back uh, over your career, uh, what's a bit of advice that you'd give your younger self? I think that now being in a, a CEO role, running a business, I think um, one of the things that's been really key is learning to have the hard conversations quickly. Mm. And um, I think that a lot of the time, if you are building a company and you have you know, empathy and you know, EQ and you care about people, sometimes you put off hard conversations because you're worried about how that person's gonna feel or how it's gonna make that person feel. And uh, you build it up in your own mind. And um, I think that I got a piece of fee uh, feedback once and a bit of advice, which has stuck, stuck with me. Um, and the person said to me, you know, it's almost always harder um, for the person giving feedback than the person receiving negative feedback. And I think that's absolutely true. Whenever I've received negative feedback, it's, it's kind of like, it is what it is. You kind of know that you've done something wrong or you've messed up um, and it's a learning opportunity. And, and actually, if you're thinking about things properly, it's a positive thing that that, that manager's given you feedback so you can improve. Um, but I think in the times that I've had to give constructive or negative feedback, it's been much more difficult than, than receiving it. And I like to remind my you know, managers that that's the case. And, um, you really need to separate you know, how you're feeling with you know, the, the mm. advice that you're giving. And, and it should be seen as a positive thing because you want this person to improve or uh, you want the businesses to succeed. Um, and so that's something that I would, I would encourage everyone to do is to be able to have those you know, difficult conversations early. Don't build them up. Don't leave them manifesting or, or uh, for too long. Um, yeah and just get it done yeah so many organizations they have this annual review process and it's like once a year and that's the time to get feedback and people are link thinking back thinking back like 10 months like what happened i'm going to give you feedback on something you did 10 months ago like yeah how effective and frustrating is that and so giving it frequently and the more you the more you have those difficult conversations around feedback the better you get at it and the better that other people get at receiving it and if it's people, sometimes they, they you know, they, they pin so much uh, and there's so much anxiety around annual reviews and it's because it does only happen once a year. And how good, how good are you at having conversations that you have once a year? Exactly. Probably pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Exactly. And I think that um, I really believe that the reason why a lot of people fail is because they haven't had 
clear expectations set with them and mm. then mm. then clear and then clear follow-up feedback so you know people don't want to do a bad job I, I really do believe that people want to be successful they want to succeed for the most part and so feedback should be a mechanism to help that person be successful and yeah. you know i think that a lot of the time because people put off this feedback um they end up doing the wrong thing for too long because they've not been given the direction that they needed and i mean that's really what causes a lot of the issues and, and, and kind of underperformance of teams and individuals because their managers failed them um, to give them that feedback and have those hard conversations. So I think managers should take it upon themselves to see that as their duty to help that person be successful rather than it being a negative thing. Um, yeah, it's, you know, people always bring also like if, if they've been working for a while, most companies don't do feedback very well. Yeah, They don't instruct their managers how to do it. We, in some of our leadership training that, that we provide to companies for a while, we talked about it, and I coached people and leaders around feedback. What I realized was that even executives aren't really aren't experienced with this mm. very much, except on the annual review. So what we started doing was giving them templates, like a step-by-step -step template from you say this, and you fill in the blank. I mean, it's really, and then have them role play. And then they actually go through that awkwardness a few times. And then they're ready to actually have a feedback session that I think they feel good about that's meaningful and impactful. And then we always finish that part with them doing the thing that they don't wanna do, which is ask for feedback from their employee on what they're doing, which mm -hmm. is so hard for leaders, which is so hard for employees to do because there's like a power differential. So it's like navigating that process. And we just say, hey, give us, you know, give feedback specifically, ask for feedback on one specific project that, that you've done as a leader, maybe one specific area, give them permission not to give you feedback if they're not, um, yeah. if they're not comfortable. And then also give them a template to give feedback to their boss instead of these sort of innocuous 360s where everyone's anonymous and you can't really tell what's going on. I don't know. What's your yeah, take right. on 360s and all that feedback and how that works? Good, helpful somewhat or uh... i think it's helpful yeah i think i think the way that you do it and the communication around it needs to be really well thought through and i think the training as you mentioned is key um you know people are generally promoted into management roles just because they've been a high performer as an ic yeah and you know individual contributor yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and that doesn't mean you're going to be a good manager and in actual fact a lot of those high performers aren't set up for success because they're so the reason they're a good performer is they're so focused on their own goals and being successful for themselves and they're really driven to be successful for themselves and so taking their vision and widening that out to now be responsible for other people's success and maybe sacrificing your own and not being the person who's up there at the top of the leaderboard or you know bringing in all the wins is actually a hard thing for that person yeah. to do um and so training is really key to help that, those people transition and actually to have the honest conversation with them is laying out what management actually is. And it's really tough. So do you actually want to be doing this? Um, you know, or do you want to just stay yeah. doing a great job? Because um, I think people just naturally associate management with that progression. And I think that companies actually, a big change that companies need to go through is, you know, 
you don't need to be a manager to be progressed in this organization to earn more money to get you know, level changes or, or um, career progression. Um, I think that's a mistake a lot of companies make actually. Um, and that's a journey that we've gone, we've gone on in our own business. Um, but you know, this 360 review um, element, I think there just has to be a very clear expectation set with everyone on what it is, how to give the feedback, how to receive the feedback, and also more importantly, the, the follow-up actions from that. Um, there's no point just giving each other feedback and collecting all this information if you're not going to do anything with it. So what is the actual, you know, yeah. what's, the po- what's the point of doing it? Why are we doing it? And what's the outcome that we want to achieve from, from doing this review process and making sure that there's tangible actions that, that allow you to achieve those outcomes you know, off the back of it? Yeah, um, I love that. What's the bigger picture while we're doing this in the first place? Because if you're not clear on that, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just because it's the right thing to do well where are we going with this so i love starting with that intention uh, and, and i want to get your perspective on this too chris so we work a lot with companies on the catastrophic cost of turnover you know talent falls in the heavy duty in the recruiting business and, and and our research shows that that the cost of turnover can be over two hundred thirty-five thousand dollars per employee per year um, mm-hmm. is this a cost that companies should be tracking hundred percent. If you're not tracking attrition, then that's a huge mistake. Um, yeah, I mean, the cost of high turnover is really far reaching. It's, you know, the resources um, that it takes to hire the person, interview the person, you know, onboard the person, all the legal mm-hmm. documents that need to be to made. Then there's a ramp period where that person is hitting productivity, which is normally, you know, a sunken cost for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then you introduce them to clients or team members and they build those relationships internally. They get to understand your product. Um, if they leave, they take all of that learning with them. You have to, you've wasted all of that resource that you put into bringing that person into the yep. business. And then you have an administrative burden of exiting the employee um, and then rehiring. So yeah, the cost is huge. And I think in addition to all that, there's a kind of morale issue as well. If you have a high turnover in your business, it's not great for culture. Um, it doesn't really create an environment that people are excited to be in or want to stay. You know, people are going to ultimately look around and ask themselves the question, why are so many people leaving? Um, you know, People don't want to leave great companies. Why, why am I here? And yeah. I think that that's, that's really, there's so many knock-on effects of high, high turnover. Um, I think it's one of the most important metrics that tells you as a leader, like, are you doing a good job at creating a great place for employees to do their best work and to feel valued? Um, so I think it's a really hard problem, especially, especially in this current market that's just exploded and it's moving so quickly. You know, there's been a massive rise in salaries. Um, companies are throwing money at the problem at the moment, I feel, um, mm-hmm. which is making it really hard for companies to, to retain their talent. Um, I think it will die down and it will normalize, but the last 12 months or so have been really challenging. I know that a lot of companies have felt that strain um, and retention has been a, something they're trying to control. But um, yeah. when, When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? So I think, I think the, the biggest... Um, I guess there's two elements. There's one big one, which is you know me going from 
musician into recruiting, um, which was a, a real twist for me because I didn't have any other aspirations. I, I wasn't even really career focused at all at that point. Um, and, you know, I was working in a supermarket um, with no real prospects, it, it felt like at the time. Um, and to, to go into recruiting and then, you know, build on that career and build a really great career in that business just kind of taught me that you decide what you're passionate about. You decide, you know, how to spend your time, where to put your focus. And, and if you channel that energy into almost anything, you can be successful. Um, and I think a lot of people are thinking about and, and, and feel as if they need to have this perfect job and or feel like they have to love going to work every single day. Um, and that's what it means to have a great job. You know, there's days that I go into work and I hate it. <laughs> you know, there's days that I go into work and I want to quit. And there's definitely been times where I think most entrepreneurs or people in jobs that um, aren't necessarily the most enjoyable. Um, but um, that's what building a career is. That's what life is about. It's about going through times where if you have a goal, you're going to have tough times. You're going to have you know, difficult times. But that doesn't mean it doesn't devalue what you're doing. It doesn't mean that it's any less important. Um, and so I think that for me is, it was a big, a big kind of wake up. It was like, okay, I can be successful in this one thing. Um, but I've not kind of maxed out my limits. As long as I put the same amount of dedication focus into something else, I can replicate that success. Mm. Um, which I think was an interesting thing to learn early in my career. Um, and then I guess more recently at, at Talentful, um, you know, we've gone through a few pivots, um, in our business. And I think it's about always listening to looking at the data has been a rich, you know, I wasn't really data orientated when I first started the business. My co-founder is much more analytical and he's kind of encouraged me to be, you know, more and more data driven over time. But we were um, building two different products. Um, and one of them was making much more revenue um, than the product that we felt was, was the, the right product. Um, and I guess when we dug into the data, we, we realized that you know, going down the product that was you know, making more revenue was sucking up more resource and more, more time from us mm. and more focus, which was allow not allowing us to scale the other business. Mm. So we had to make the difficult mm. decision of, you know, do we cut the business that is making the majority of our revenue because we believe in this, this um, the direction that we're going in. And luckily we made the right decision and we did do that. And um, from then on out, the success of our business has just been you know, tenfold and, and kind of exponential from that point. Um, and we did that by listening to our customers, by listening to our people, by gathering data um, and, and making that like informed decision. Um, and I try, you know, as a, as a business leader in a fast growing company, it can be very easy to listen to the noise and, you know, the, I guess in any situation, um, the people who shout the loudest or the problem that seems the, the, the loudest. But I think it's really important to, to not react and to take a step back and look at the data. And a lot of the time you find, okay, this thing that someone is telling me is a huge problem is like two people out of 200 have made this complaint. Um, and then you can say, okay, you can rationalize it. You can be more logical mm. and that's been really helpful to, to kind of make sure I'm taking the step back. The team's taking a step back and we're assessing 
you know, is this a real problem or, or is it not something that we should pay attention? Yeah, um, I love that example. And it's really combating the idea of the squeaky wheel gets the grease to, mm-hmm. hey, what's the Pareto principle here? Yeah. Like, what are the actions we're taking that are really generating the revenue that we want to be generating in the future or our profitability? And what are the key problems that we need to focus on that are holding us back to generating 80% of our, our possibility and learning to prioritize that as an individual is one thing, but it's another to begin to look at it from a company standpoint or when you're guiding an organization. And so I think that's a key distinction for the listeners today. Uh, that, that is a really great way to start to wind up, I think, th- this interview, Chris. But I got to ask you, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? Oh, wow. I mean, I spend almost all of my free time listening to podcasts. So, um, yeah. Good. So, um, great. There we go. What, uh, what podcast? Um, so I'm really... I, I'm not, I don't discriminate. I am um, a very, very varied podcast listener, listener. I really like business focused podcasts because they, you know, companies that are going through the same problems that we are. It's nice mm. to hear, nice to hear how different founders are approaching those problems yeah. and solving those problems. And, you know, you might listen to an hour podcast, but only get one and gets one gem of information that really helps you think about something differently. And for me, that's worth it. That's really worth it for me. So mm-hmm. there's a, there's a podcast called this week in startups with Jason Calacanis. He also has um, a podcast called all in podcast, which is, which is really great. Um, they discuss things from politics to the economy and all different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah. I typically like any kind of business related podcasts. Um, but yeah, that's been helpful. And um maybe not a gadget, but my instruments. I think it's really important when you're growing a business to take time out and have a hobby. I think a hobby has been a lifesaver for me, especially in lockdown um, and when we went through COVID. So it, it allows you to separate yourself. Sometimes as a, as a founder, you are all encompassed by work. You know, you're thinking 24 seven about work and that's not healthy for anyone. So having the separation and being able to disconnect is, has been a lifesaver. Yeah, so the hobby, I love that because it's not always about relaxing, finding time to relax. It's this idea yeah. of how refreshing and nourishing it can be to shift your focus mm-hmm. entirely. Like for me, uh, like I, I really enjoy playing tennis. I'm on a tennis court. All I'm thinking about is just playing the other person. I'm not thinking about work. And it's amazing how yeah. that a huge exertion of mental and physical energy actually restores me when I come back and I suspect on the musical instrument front, you know, you're thinking about the music and the time you're keeping. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing shift of focus. I suspect to stay in the moment and do that on the, on the podcast front, where do you listen to your podcast and when do you do it? So I listen on, um, I actually listen on YouTube and Spotify. Yeah. The two places. Yeah, those two, it used to be that Apple sort of ruled the roost on the podcast front mm. and now Spotify and of course, YouTube starting to catch up a little bit. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, the podcast is growing, but I'm, I'm always delighted to hear when senior executives are recommending podcasts because they do it themselves, <laughs> listening to themselves. Yeah. All right. So uh, what's the parting thought for our listeners today, Chris, before we get you on your merry way? I think maybe the 
the first thing that I talked about, you know, consistency wins. And I really do believe that um, the, there's always going to be people that are trying to talk about, you know, the new method of this or the new way of doing this or the shortcut to this. But ultimately, I think consistency and hard work will beat your competition every time. And, and if you focus on that, yeah, you'll have no issues. It's harder, so, harder, harder said than done. <laughs> all right. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show today. Cheers, John. Bye. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.